Pastor Larry Stockstill, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm doing great, David. I love you. So good to be with you. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. And we have a few minutes with you and we have some questions. And I believe this time is going to be so fruitful and encourage so many that are listening. You, you've been married now for over 40 years. I believe it's 43 years. Is that correct? Just made 44 in May. Uh -huh. Congratulations. Thank you so thank much. You and Melanie are set just a tremendous example for all of us to follow. What would you say the three keys to having a healthy, long-lasting marriage? Well, uh, in Pastors University, next module, I'm going to be teaching my seven top keys and secrets. One of the big ones, Dave, is uh, to realize that God sovereignly put us together. You know, um, if you're on a Google map and you miss a turn, you don't go back to where you started. It reroutes you to the same destination. And we all go through ups and downs. We miss turns. We make mistakes. But God reroutes us, and our center is heaven, but our, our center is also legacy, uh, ending life together like you began it together. So if you know that God sovereignly put you together, and I shared in hearing the voice of God, I think session six, that I was walking behind my wife one day in the 10th grade, and this voice said to me, you're going to marry that girl. Well, I was playing basketball, dude. I didn't even, it, marriage, I didn't even hardly know what that was. And yet it ended up six years later that I did marry that girl. And he, he God sovereignly put us together. So when we go through hard times, difficult times, first of all, we know God sovereignly put us together. Uh, another thing that's really helped me a whole lot uh, is to learn concerning finances that um, an emergency fund is probably the best thing you can have with finances. I didn't know that. Nobody told me that. I got no premarital counseling. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> and so I, once you get three months of money in the bank, everything calms down. If you don't have any money in the bank, everything's a disaster, a crisis. And you can argue in the next five seconds when you were doing great because suddenly you came to the end of the little bit of money that you have in your wallet. So I encourage couples to always get at least three months of salary in the bank. And then another issue, of course, that I learned is in my top seven is I learned that uh, women have a basic uh, need for security. It's not that they're insecure because women lead corporations and nations, but they have a need for a security. And that's where God gave a man security. Man have basic sense of security. And I know people say, no, 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 that's, that's uh, sexist, that's gender wrong. But if something drops on the floor in the middle of the night, in the living room or the kitchen, Melanie always punches me and says, I heard something. And I don't ever say, yeah, go check it out. You know? So she wants me to go. And so once I learned that, I figured out that she wants a hug, a strong hug, a strong leader, a strong, not passive, but a strong leader more than anything else in her life. And that I want her to be a sensitive person in my life too. So anyway, I've got seven of those. That's three of them. And it's so good. Thank you so much. And you, of course, you have six children. You got five sons. You have one daughter. I believe you have 16 grandchildren now. Right. Tons of spiritual sons, tons of spiritual daughters. We see so many people now um, put in ministry above their family 
getting burnt out, spouses are burnt out, and you can see it on their face. Speak a word to people who are watching right now who are struggling to find that balance, even with the COVID crisis. You know, now they're working more hours than ever before. They don't know how to put the computer away. I wonder if you can speak a word of hope to us. Well, of course, the Bible says that false balance is an abomination. And the balance between work and family is one I've had to learn. These I've been in ministry now 50 years and been married 44 of those. So I've made some mistakes, David. I've overemphasized my ministry. I've paid dearly in a child maybe that didn't have enough attention and went and found a group that he shouldn't have been a part of because I was gone. I had one of my children want me to play golf so bad with him, and I never would. Then he found a couple of guys that were really unsaved, and they started playing together, and that was a, that was a really bad ending for him. God redeemed it. But I learned that was a bad lesson because if you ignore a child's desires and needs to be with you doing what they like to do, you will reap that later on. You think you're saving time, you're really wasting months and years of life. You're not saving any time working when you're not with them. In terms of your, of your spouse, you know, the same thing is true. If I, if I lose my wife, I've really lost everything. So, in fact, I told Melanie, if you leave me, I'm going with you. (laughs) I don't have any choice. (laughs) I mean, what am I going to do if she's gone? What am I going to, who am I going to tell, hey, this works? (laughs) Hey, this is awesome. It's not awesome if it doesn't work. So I just decided I don't have to take every counseling session. I don't have to be in every meeting. I don't have to lead every circumstance. That's why I empower others when it's four o'clock, five o'clock and time for me to go home. And I want to be at supper with my kids. I don't want to be online. I don't want to be, I want to be at the table. I want to look them in the face. How was your day? And then at night I put everyone under the bed. We read the word every night, their whole lives, just 10 minutes. But I don't want to abdicate that because of some old meeting with a bunch of people sitting around just want, 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 want. I want, to, and it's its highest priority. Well, now I have six leaders, five boys and a girl. They're, you know, Joel is a prophet leading serves. Jonathan is leading Bethany Church. Jared is a CFO of Bethany Church. James is a worship pastor of Bethany Church. Melissa is a campus pastor with her husband of a campus. Jason is making a ton of money for the body of Christ. So it, I just really it was worth the investment. So balance, yes. And it may feel like, oh, I'm kind of, I'm hurting my ministry because I'm spending so much time with my family. You're not going to ever spend too much time with your family. There'll be seasons where you're so integrated in the ministry, they're going to miss some, but they feed off the investment you've made in them. So good. So good. We could pray. I just got it short, but that, that's as much as I want to you mentioned, you mentioned been in ministry for now over 50 years. You preached your first message, May 1969, age 16. You preached for a total of 10 minutes on the rich young ruler. I wonder, after all the sermons, messages you preached, as you look back on the last 50 years, I wonder if there was one message that stands out to you, one experience. I've heard a few of them in the Passage University, absolutely life-changing. I wonder if one sticks out to you that you can share with us as you look back at the times that you preached. 
share with well, us? Well, yeah, two just jumped in my mind. One of them was getting to preach at ORU for Oral Roberts there. And I think I talked about it there. I had fasted three days and I preached on consecration and asked people at the end of the message to take their shoes off like Joshua did. And everybody did, including Oral Roberts. And I would call that a highlight. It was uh, the Spirit of God was there 30 minutes after we finished. They kind of moved classes for an hour so people could stay in the presence of God. Another one was when I was given the Martin Luther King Award here in Baton Rouge, and uh, which whether I deserved it or not, I have no idea, but they gave it to me. And it was a room, a, a large church of uh, over a thousand uh, black African-American leaders. And uh, I was about the only uh, Caucasian in the room and, it, and I got up and I could feel a little bit of tension in the air that they'd given me that award. And the Lord gave me this thought. Have you ever watched the movie White Men Can't Jump? <laughs> and everybody kind of snickered. And I said, well, white men can't preach either. Why do y'all have me in here preaching? So I don't know. And that message went on to be a, a real word. And then I guess a third one, I got to preach to about 4,000 bishops of the Church of God on fathering. They were from all over the world in Nashville and that was an hour and, and I felt like that was a high point. And then I guess the last one be preaching at Dr. Cho's church and a stadium with a hundred thousand people in it. Most of them were leaders, small group leaders in his big church. And that was, that was quite an experience. So yeah, some small places in Africa, but then some large venues as well. Amazing. Your first book, The Cell Church, has helped so many churches learn about small groups and the importance of small groups. Talk to people who are watching on YouTube, people who are listening on podcasts right now. They're doing life alone. They may be getting a little bit here and there with a podcast or a message online, but there's no connection. There's no roots. Uh, speak to the importance of why we should be connected to each other relationally, how we were created for relationship. Well, the early church primarily met in small venues. Uh, the early church had the temple, and they could meet outdoors in the portico, but most of the time, it was a pretty secretive thing. It was small groups of people, and uh, I just feel like we've lost a little of that. I believe in the mega church. I believe that a crowd draws a crowd, and I believe that lost people love coming to a place where they can feel a little bit of anonymity and can hear the gospel. All that's good, plus you raise up more leaders, tons of leaders. But one of the things that we miss out of that, if we're not careful, is the intimate relationship. And I, I think the, the definition of love in the Hebrew word, you know, phileo, or the Greek word phileo is brotherly love. And we can have brotherly love. That's cool. I love it. Peter said have brotherly love. But there's a deeper word, and it's agape. And that is a covenant love. So I have to have a group of friends that are not convenient friends. They're covenant friends. And convenience is, hey, man, give everybody a high five on the road by you. That's cool. But covenant is what you're interested in, I'm interested in. What you need, I'm interested in. If there's anything you need from me, the answer is yes. Well, I can't say that to 5,000 people, but I can say it to five or 10. And when those bonds grow, you turn into this really solid, solid leader who knows you're loved, and knows your friends. If Jesus had a circle of 12 and boiled that down to three, we all need at least a three. Job had three friends. He had, and, and of course, somebody said with friends like Job's, who needs enemies? But 
Those three guys hung around for a week and never said a word. They empathized. So if you go through it, who's going to be the people at the foot of your bed sitting there saying, come on, dude, you're going to make it through this now. And if you don't have them, you may not make it. So I believe in small groups big time. Amen. And we're winding down. We got a few minutes left. Um, Real fast. I've heard your spiritual giants, those in your life, but for those who are watching or listening who haven't, this might be the only time they hear Share with us three of your spiritual giants, spiritual mentors, and the three greatest lessons they shared. Why don't you share it in the form of a a one-liner or a quote, just something that they share with you that sticks out to you? Well, my dad is my first spiritual giant. He was in the ministry 68 years, married to my mother 63 years. Daddy's big line he taught me was, people are not your enemy. The devil is your enemy. Daddy taught me about spiritual warfare. And so I don't, I don't focus on people that are attacking me. I bind the devil off of them. And that was a big thing for me as a pastor. Another huge uh, giant of mine was my father-in-law, Jim Clark. Jim was a military officer before he got saved. So he brought that over into the ministry and his whole garage was just in order. I mean, every tool in place, every jar of screws in place. And I had none of that. My garage looked like a, a war zone. So I learned from him order. And and we had this phrase, order precedes multiplication. Jesus set them down in groups of 50, then he multiplied the bread. And until you put in order what you have, God will not multiply and give you more. And then a third giant in my life, uh, of course, was Dr. Cho. Dr. Cho taught me for 25 years. I've been on his board about prayer and tabernacle prayer that you can pray through the pieces of furniture of the tabernacle. They all mean something in approaching God. And he taught me that the brazen altar is the cross. The laver is sanctification. The candlestick is the Holy Spirit. The table of showbread is the word of God. The the altar of incense is uh, worship. And the Holy of Holies is intercession. What an amazing thing that's been in my life for prayer and fasting. So I've got seven of those. I'll just name the other four. John Osteen taught me abundance. Or Roberts taught me excellence. Uh, Lester Sumrall taught me authority. And Danny Oss taught me evangelism. So it's all good. Amen. Amen. Well, um, let's, let's end with this question here. Everything going on in our nation now. So many people watching, listening. We've seen injustice. We've seen racism occur. We've been praying. Um, and I, I wonder if you have a word of hope for those watching, a word for the church, how the church can stand up, step up, and speak up, how the enemy wants to silence our shout, how the enemy really with a spirit of intimidation wants to get people where they don't even speak on these issues. And you've done such a great job of not only modeling but speaking about these issues. And I wonder if you can just speak for a few minutes and then pray for us. Well, I thank you, David. I think you just mentioned modeling and then mentoring. I've uh, been a missionary in Africa for two years. I was the minority. There were no whites hardly in my whole state, a few, few French engineers. So I know what it feels like to be a minority. And that's kind of hard for a lot of us to, to do is to, to know what it feels like to be a minority. But 
I learned it. And so the first thing I'd like to say is you've got to learn to live with people uh, before you can speak about people. Now, for the last 40 years, when I came back from Africa, I completely pastored a multiracial church for 28 years, 50% African-American. So we didn't just uh, tolerate each other. We adopted each other. We love each other. We're family. I've buried many of my African-American friends through the years. And a lot of their friends said, if you go to that church with a white pastor, they'll never bury you. I told that guy, just, just die and watch me bury you. I will. But we had so much fun. We, we laughed together. And we're really what I would call brothers and sisters. So you have to live, David, with people of another color. Love them. Love their skills. Love their challenges. Empathize. Where they become family. Therefore, I know that I can speak with authority on this subject because this is my family. I will stand up and defend my family. There's no problem for me. I don't have to say, well, I need to pull out a, a policy manual to show how I can kind of dust off my uh, diversity and equality. I don't do that. I don't need to. I am, I am equal with them. I, we live as equals. And so I stand up for them. And I had an African-American child I tried to adopt after I was missionary for four years. She lived with us. We could never get her a visa, if you could believe that, in the United States. She went back. She's now 40. I put her through college. We're online together all the time. That's my daughter, Sharon. I found her as a baby. She was dying. So, dude, I guess uh, if you live with people, and I'd, I'd say if you don't know what you're talking about, you better just shut up and just start getting to know some people of a, of a different race and learn to love them. Get in a small group with them. Go to their home. Eat their food. Get, get close to them. Hear their struggles. If, we, if America would do that, this whole thing would begin to end because really what everybody's looking for is, is the connection together, not legislated necessarily. That has to start, but real heartfelt connection. Amen. That's so good. Thank you so much for sharing that word of hope. One of you take this time just to pray for us, pray for our listeners, pray for those watching, pray for our nation, and pray what the Lord places on your heart to pray. Father, I'm so thankful, Lord, for the Holy Spirit, because you said that we should endeavor to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I thank you, Father, for the unity of the Spirit that you have brought together in the body of Christ, 16 different races and tribes on the day of Pentecost. You know how to bring people together. And Lord, we have failed in so many ways, intrinsic racism or anything that has caused hurt, shame, embarrassment, pride, egotism, and supremacy. I ask you, Holy Spirit, to break down those walls, just like the Berlin Wall still stood after it was illegal, and then people started tearing it down. I pray we would just really, with our hearts, our hands, and our actions, begin to integrate, begin to tear down the walls between us and hug and embrace and, and feel with each other and lay down our lives together and rebuild this nation as one people under God. Holy Spirit, breathe life on the bones of Ezekiel. He saw those bones that were disconnected come together and become a great army. 
breathe across a disconnected nation and let us rise up as an army of joy and liberty and peace together. We thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Larry. We honor you and we thank you so much for your time. My joy. I love you, David. You're a blessing.